Alright, so we're doing a podcast today, I guess. Yeah, it's podcast day. I guess Sorry. it's podcast day. What's today? Today is uh, April 9th, 2020. It's, it's April 10th, but you're close. Welcome in to the Fantasy Eyeballs Football Podcast. Today is Sunday, April 10th. We got the draft coming up. I am your host, Ryan McNichols, joined by my co-host, Rich Houck. What's up, guys? And our producer, Mike Coyle. Hey, how's it going, guys? And how are you doing on this beautiful Sunday today, Rich? I'm great. How about you? I'm doing great as well, and you know why? Because I just remembered that Joe Buck and Troy Aikman are no longer on Fox. Oh, man. And they're now on ESPN. So they will be doing Monday Night Football this year. And what that means for us as Eagles fan is I don't have to listen to them not call half of the Eagles games this season. And so what I mean by that is when they were at Fox, Fox loved to give Joe and Troy the NFC East games whenever they were available, which meant they were constantly doing Eagles games. The problem is... They don't actually like to announce what's going on in an Eagles game. They try their hardest not to talk about anything the Eagles might be doing unless they are messing up. It's literally one of those things where I'm watching the game, and the Eagles could go on a 15-play drive and move the ball 95 yards and score a touchdown. And he might, might chime in on one or two plays to talk about what the Eagles did there. But it'll be more in the context of, oh, the defenders did this, and that's how they messed up, and that's why the Eagles did it, as opposed to the Eagles getting success. I despise them as they try to announce the Eagles game because they cannot do their job impartially with no bias. They literally spend their entire time trying to segue from whatever it is they're starting to talk about to one of three things, the Patriots, Tom Brady, or the Cowboys. They will literally start talking about something and be like, you know, and uh, Derek Barnett's uncle is actually married to Tom Brady's second cousin. I'm just like, what? And then they'll just go into a Tom Brady rant for about five minutes. And you're (laughs) watching the Eagles play the Colts. And you're like, this has nothing to do with Tom Brady whatsoever. How are we talking about Tom Brady? And they do it all the time. And they're the worst about it with Eagles games. They do it through all of their games, but literally just watching them every week announce an Eagles game. Like, I don't have this problem with other guys. I don't have this problem with Tony Romo. Tony Romo explains to me what is happening in the game and what is going on. I feel like I come away learning more about and understanding what's happening in the game. He explains what the defense is doing. He explains what the offense did to, like, counter it or what the quarterback saw. And and just, like, and it doesn't matter who's playing. He'll talk about that, and he keeps it focused on that game. So what are we talking about today? (laughs) Talk about an intro. We're going to talk about a couple more prospects on a deep dive. We're going to get into Malik Willis, uh, Isaiah Likely, Jamison Williams, and Kenneth Walker. That's right. And again, so we got the draft coming up, so we're trying to pump out a lot of content around these rookie prospects to kind of give you some perspective on them before they're on their team so you have a realistic expectation to kind of set before then as opposed to all of the hype that might happen when one of these players goes to a team that you know everybody thinks is going to be the perfect situation for them. So... This is, again, just to set expectations to begin with, and then we'll come back to the monster actually on teams. But let's start today talking about a guy whose expectations could be all over the place, and that is Liberty quarterback Malik Willis. So here's the positives about Malik Willis. His ceiling? Through the roof. He could be one of those next guys like Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Patrick yeah, Mahomes, between absolutely. his ability to sling the ball down the field with his arm strength and his mobility. He's... 
fast. You see it show up on the tape. Again, this is something when we talked about Kenny Pickett. He was mobile, and you see him get past defenders, but he's not blowing past the defenders. And so Malik Willis' speed look, is, seems like it's going to translate to the NFL pretty well, just like all these other guys. He's going to continue to make plays with his legs and gain yards and be a scramble. I don't know that he's will be the Lamar Jackson level of rushing, but Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen rushing levels is, is what you would expect from Malik Willis. This is, again, with everything that works out with him. It's the, the positives are the dual threat, the strong arm. He's patient. He allows plays to develop, so he doesn't panic and try to make things happen when it's not there. So he doesn't, you know, sometimes with scrambling quarterbacks, their tendency is to lean towards the scramble and take off more. He doesn't do that as much. On the flip side, he does, contrarily, he does try to make a play, and so he will hold onto the ball a bit longer and kind of avoid taking the check down to try to make the bigger play. But generally speaking, he doesn't he doesn't rely on his rushing. Like, that was one of the criticisms with Lamar Jackson, was that he was going to be so dependent on his rushing. So, what was your overall take from watching Malik Willis at Liberty? I thought he is a great athlete with a powerful arm, uh, with a very high ceiling, who's raw. Needs time to develop. Right. I don't expect him coming in in week one of this season and no. lighting the world on fire. Absolutely not. No. And so to give everybody perspective, so Malik Willis only has really one year of starting experience. He, he was available in 10 games in 2020 for Liberty, but I don't believe he was the start of the full time. He only had 170 passing attempts during that season. It was COVID. It was a weird season. Last year, 21 2021, only 207 passing attempts. So he's had about he's had less than 400 passing attempts through his career at college. So he doesn't have a lot of experience. It's college level. So one of those things that's even more important for a quarterback when you're translating from the NFL to college is your ability to read the defenses, understand plays, understand where the opening is going to be, and more importantly, going through your progressions when you're dropping back to pass. These are all things that are a lot harder to do at the NFL level because it happens a lot faster because the players are better, they're faster at the NFL level. And this is where Malik Willis might struggle. Now, to his credit, he his offense wasn't very wasn't just so simple where it was just a one-look pass and then run. He did go through some progressions during his time in college, but again, just the limited experience he has doing it. It's it's going to be a bit of a shock. I just know with how hype with how much hype there is on him. You might be a bit shocked when you go and see him out there in week 1 because I don't think He's going to look particularly well because, again, I just think the speed of the NFL is something that's going to confuse him. Not confuse him, but it's surprise him like it does with most rookies where he's going to get out there and he's like, oh, God, like, I, I got to do this quicker. I got to, you know, I got to read this before the play and I got to know what's going to be happening. I got to know where this guy is going to be and my receiver is going to be. And, like, you know, that's that's the main concern. So... That and a little bit, just like you said, some of the mechanics that it comes with being a, a raw quarterback. You know, he's got to work a little bit on his ball plate on his ball placement. Sometimes he puts a little bit too much zip on it. Doesn't really give his receivers a chance to make a play. His footwork. That has to do. Yeah, that has to do with I think his arm trying to compensate for his footwork. So again, he has limited experience as a starter. So if you're a team and you believe that you are a coaching staff that can actually coach and develop players. You'll be willing to take a risk on Malik Willis because the ceiling is that high where you could have the next Josh Allen, I would say, is something. Let's not say Patrick Mahomes just yet. but Somewhere Josh between is... Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. Somewhere right. in between. Now, con- conversely, if a team that isn't ready to commit to a full-blown rebuild or doesn't have a lot of pieces in place, you know, so they draft him high and, ha- and keep those high expectations just because they take him high, 
I think they will be disappointed with the return they'll get out of year one. I think a, a good situation for him would be the Seattle Seahawks because Pete Carroll wants to run the ball and he still has the pass catchers in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett where that he would have to compete. Line, he would have to compete with Drew Locke. Well, they, hopefully they can improve that offense. We've been saying they, that they for, got plenty of for picks. a decade. It but they got plenty like of picks Seattle. now after, after after the Russell Wilson trade. They got picks to address I, I that offensive the, line. We've been talking offensive line in Seattle for ten. And years. you also got to think longer term with Seattle because Drew Locke is definitely not the long term answer. So he'll compete with Drew Locke. Drew Locke might win it, start the season, and as the season progresses, they'll switch over to Malik when they realize they're out of it, because they're not just going to come out and admit that they're going to tank the season. I think they'll, he'll legitimately come in and compete with Drew Locke. Drew Locke will most likely end up winning it, turn out as the starter. As the season starts to go down and you get later, once we hit like week 10 or something, maybe we see Malik Willis come out and start playing. And yeah, again, like you said, the offensive line is not great, but they've got some picks where they can address that now in this upcoming draft after trading Russell Wilson and getting some picks. And Malik Willis can scramble to kind of compensate for the lack of the offensive line. And again, I think they want to run the ball a lot too. So I, I just think Seattle's, I, I think he's close to what Russell Wilson presented as a quarterback. And it seems like he'd be a good fit to go into Pete Carroll's scheme because it doesn't seem like Pete Carroll is intending to go anywhere. And I honestly can't see them just going into the season with Drew Locke at starting quarterback, like, uncontested. You know what I mean? So, I, I truly believe that that's where he'll go because I think they are committed to a rebound. They could say that they're not trading DK Metcalf or whatever. They need to re-sign him to a deal. And that might actually work out. If you sign Metcalf to his deal now and draft Malik and he's on his rookie deal while Metcalf is on his big, you know, second contract and you have him during that time frame, I think it would work out. I think Seattle needs a quarterback. And, again, we keep – there's just – the one thing that I'm just with the quarterbacks and when everyone's talking about, well, let's wait till next year. I know everyone talks about C.J. Strout and Bryce Young, right, for the quarterbacks for next year. Give me three other ones. Exactly. We've got, like, ten teams that are going to be looking for a franchise quarterback next year that aren't set on their quarterback. Do we really think Marcus Mariota is the answer for the Falcons? Is Jameis Winston the answer for the Saints? Like, Remains to be seen. Exactly. So... How many teams next year, and we keep talking about the Eagles might be looking to move on from Jalen Hurts. You know, maybe the Titans want to move on from Ryan Tannehill. Maybe Davis Mills doesn't work out and the Texans are looking. Maybe the Colts want to move on from Matt Ryan. Like, there's so many teams that are going to be looking for, what are the, the Steelers really committed to going with Mitch Trubisky? Are they going to get a rookie this year? What if they don't get a rookie next year? They're going to be looking. They're going to be 10 teams next year that are competing for potentially two quarterbacks. So just like this constant assumption that, hey, we're going to get a quarterback next year. When you might have to draft them with the where they might go one and two, and you're going to have to have the one and two pick somehow. It's just, it's not a realistic path for every team out there that needs a quarterback right now. So I think people are going to be surprised. So bottom so, line, on Malik Willis. bottom line is if Malik Willis is not somebody you're slotting in week one to start. Malik Willis has the ceiling to be Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. But keep in mind when we say that Patrick Mahomes sat on the bench for his rookie season. Josh Allen took three seasons to get to the level of production that he was performing. And there was actually some questions about Josh Allen during his first two seasons until he finally broke out. So just because we're saying he's not going to break out this year and start week one and, and light it up doesn't mean that you shouldn't invest in him as far as fantasy goes. He has the potential to be a top five quarterback in fantasy once he hits his ceiling. Right, so definitely a super flex kind of guy. Right. The risk you run with him is the same risk you run with every other quarterback. That floor could fall out beneath his feet depending on where he goes. So, again, a guy we will 
get more of a, a more of a floor for once he's on a team. Right, let's keep it let's move on to tight end Isaiah Likely from Coastal Carolina. So, good tight end. Liked him, watched the film. He was productive throughout his time in Coastal Carolina. Again, every year he, he just he got better and better, was more productive. Went from 100 yards to 400 yards, 600 yards in 2020 during the shortened season, 900 yards last year. That's what impressed us. Additionally, he had 12 touchdowns. He's an athletic guy. He's 6'4", 241. So we talked about this a little bit on the last episode. We were comparing him to Trey McBride. And we said Trey McBride, when you look at him, he looks like a 10 end. He looks like a big, solid guy. Isaiah Likely does not look like that. It looks like it's because he carries more of the weight in his legs, but he looks like a big wide receiver out there as opposed to a tight end. And they kind of use him in that way. He's more of an athletic receiving tight end than he is the all-around do-it tight end. Now, he can do everything that you ask him to. He's willing to block. He does block. He's a decent blocker. I mean, he lines up all over the place, but he's used mostly as an athletic wide receiver type tight end and does the does the frame bother you at all the fact that he's more bigger on the bottom than the top the fact that he looks like a big wide receiver because i mean we've seen guys like mike gusecki who are a bit who are used like that and are a bit like that be successful at the nfl but yeah no it doesn't concern me right he's shown his versatility he can line up all over the field um i expect him to yeah, be able to be He's another guy with strong hands. He snatches that ball out of the air. You're not, you know, you're not going to see people knocking that ball out of his hands. He's a mismatch against the linebackers. Again, it was just you. Again, you're nitpicking with these guys at the top as far as tight ends concerned. But the main concern is just like with that build. He's not, he's not as overly physical as a Rob Gronkowski, as a as a Travis Kelsey. Like he's, you're not going to look out there and see him like and think, oh wow, watch him body these people, but. He does have a little bit more lateral speed than the other tight ends because of the way that he's built, and that gets him separation to get him open. He's just a little bit faster than some of the other guys. So where do you view his ceiling and floor at as far as if you were comparing him to other NFL tight ends? I could see him being in that tight end one category, whether that's like six or seven, somewhere around there. I mean... Look at the way he was used in college. If he's utilized the same way in the NFL, he's going to put numbers up. He was a deep threat. They threw him the ball down the seam. Um, they threw him a lot of wheel routes. Um, he, he was getting the ball um, in a variety of different ways, um, exploiting mismatches. Um, if he's able to, to come in and see some type of volume, he's going to put numbers up. The dude's athletic. He can make plays. He's got great hands. So, yeah, again, he'll have a successful NFL career. Again, the thing just always with tight ends is we don't typically see a tight end come out and have a rock star year one from a fantasy perspective. Think about the you know the two top tight ends, yeah, rookie Not tight ends from last year. Kyle, next year. Kyle Pitts and Pat Fryermuth were the two tight ends from fantasy that were rookies last year. And Kyle Pitts had a 1,000-yard season. As far as fantasy goes, it wasn't, though, like worthy of a top five overall finish at the tight end position. That being said, Kyle Pitts could get there, depending on how that whole situation plays down in Atlanta. Do you think Isaiah? Do you think Isaiah likely has? You said the six to seven, six to eight range is kind ceiling, of where you think his ceiling. In a couple ceiling, of years, so. if he's able to reach it, I think he could be yeah, right on that fringe of top five. So we we kind of lump him in there with Trey McBride. I, I wouldn't fault you if you had one ranked over the other. Then it, again, it depends on. They're different players, again, with the way that they play and the size that they are, but depending on where they go, 
might kind of influence which one gets the nod because one of them might just go to a pass-heavier offense that use, might use them a little bit more. So if you have one ranked over the other, it wouldn't fault you. I believe they'll both be successful tight ends, although, again, when you're talking tight ends in fantasy and dynasty, you're talking you're going to have to wait a year before you see those returns come. So NFL-wise, they'll probably be taking – those tight ends will probably start going third round. Maybe one of these guys will sneak into the back end of the second, possibly. But if it was, if there was going to be a tight end going in the second round towards the back end, I believe it would be either Isaiah Likely or Trey McBride are the two most likely candidates for that to happen. You disagree about that at all? No. Okay. So let's move on then to another fun position for fantasy football. That is the running back position. We are going to talk about Kenneth Walker from Michigan State. So Kenneth Walker started his career at Wake Forest. Didn't get used a whole lot as a freshman. Uh, I mean, he got a fair amount of uses. He had 98 rushing attempts for 579 yards. Second year, 119 rushing attempts for 579 yards again. Interesting. Then he transfers to Michigan State in 2021. Becomes the main running back there. 263 yards for 1,636 rushing yards. I'm sorry, I said 260. It's 263 rushing attempts. For 1,636 rushing yards. 6.2 rushing yards per attempt. 18 rushing touchdowns. Rich, he's a solidly built guy. Again, he's 5'9", 211. He ran fast at the, at the combine, 4.38, 40-yard time. So a little bit faster than Brees Hall. When you watch the film, he seems significantly faster than Brees Hall, explosive. just comparing the two. He's a lot faster, a lot more explosive. And this is where... We talked about last time, Brees Hall gets open because he finds the angles and lanes that are open throughout the field and follows the blocking scheme. Kenneth Walker is a little bit different. He's one of those shifty guys. He's quick. He's got a lot of good lateral movement, and he's the guy, the kind of guy that runs up on you, and he'll juke you out. He'll do a little fake, a little nod of his head, and get the guy off balance, and he'll just cut past you. He's really good at his cuts. Really good, really strong runner. He's willing to take on defenders. You know, I know you hear 5'9", you think a little smaller, but again, he's 211 pounds, so he is a dense, solid running back. So, I mean, I've seen it. He, you see it on the tape when you watch. He runs into players. He runs through them. He's not. He doesn't shy away from contact at all. He's got good ball security. The one thing that everyone questioned about was his use as a pass catcher because he was not involved a lot in the passing game in his time in college. You thought he had pretty good hands at the combine? Yeah, he looked good at the combine. So, again, just most of his criticisms then are going to center around that pass catch. It's just the lack of involvement in pass catching. And, so and he's, pass protection. Yeah, so, again, we talked about this with Brees Hall, and we said it's going to be a theme with the running backs. Kenneth Walker, just not very particularly effective in pass protection. And we just want to make people understand that it's important at the NFL level for that to translate because you're not going to be on passing downs if you can't pass protect you have to be able to pick up the blitz or the extra guy coming through on the plays where you're not running a route or you have to be able to chip even when you are running a route in order to give your quarterback extra time and when players don't do that they can find themselves in a rotation or even in the doghouse very quickly look at the running backs that work with Tom Brady you'll see a good example of that Ronald Jones is a great example of the Buccaneers running back he couldn't pick up on those things he he just couldn't pass protect, he couldn't pick up on the blitzes, and so he just slowly got worked out of the offense. It had nothing to do with how effective he was as a runner, because he was decently effective when he was actually given the ball and given the chance to run, but between the pass protection and the fumbles, they just they couldn't deal with it. And a lot of NFL teams don't deal with that, and they don't 
I know we keep talking about how you don't draft a running back early because a lot of teams don't want to pay the running back, and we keep talking about teams want to do a running back by committee. Teams ultimately want to have a running back they can have out there for three downs because it makes you less predictable. That doesn't necessarily mean every play all three downs during the entire drive. That You obviously want somebody you can put in behind them to rotate them out, but they want somebody out there who can both pass, catch, and be a runner because it gives your offense less predictability for the defense. So... It's important to develop these pass-catching skills. Again, Kenneth Walker's problem is he just wasn't given the opportunity to do it during college. Do we think he can pick up on it? Yeah, I don't see any reason he can. can be coached. He can totally be coached. It's just he doesn't offer much in pass protection. He has a limited route tree. So the only other major concern as far as the rushing ability goes is he is one of those guys that tries to make a play when stuff isn't necessarily there. So he does, we saw in the film, he bounces out quite a bit to the outside that doesn't translate well in the NFL. As Eagles fans, we saw that with Miles Sanders during his first year, he kept trying to bounce the ball to the outside during the first half. It wasn't working because of the speed of linebackers and edge defenders in the NFL is much different than out of college, and you're not going to outrun everybody to the sideline like you do then. And it took him like half the season to adjust to it. Now, that doesn't mean I don't think Kenneth Walker can adjust to it a lot quicker than that. And I think Kenneth Walker is a better prospect coming out than Miles Sanders was. Do you disagree with that at all, Rich? All right. No, I do not. Rich is, Rich is shaking his head now. As I yawn. <laughs> As he yawns. But, so, Kenneth Walker, again, I think because of the combination, uh, if he can get, if he can develop the pass-catching skills, he has the possibility of being a top-ten running back this upcoming yeah, season. If he can secure a three-down role, the, the rushing upside is, you know, he is, is great. Now, if he's able to add any type of pass-catching work on top of that, that's what's going to separate him and send him to the next level. Yeah. And as far as his comp for his build goes, his build at the 5'9", reminds me a bit of DeAndre Swift. So to give people an idea of kind of what that is. And he's not the same kind of pass catcher that DeAndre Swift is or was coming out of college. And that's kind of what DeAndre Swift's strength is, is the pass catching thing. But to kind of give you an idea of the type of play, you know, DeAndre Swift is a three down back in the NFL at this size. So I, yeah, I think I'm more secure about Kenneth Walker being higher because I think he has the more likely shot of securing the three down role going into this upcoming season or then yeah did I say Brees Hall or did I say Kenneth Walker I just I think I just, think I think I just got tongue-tied yeah. I'm sorry I want I meant, I meant to say Brees Hall I think Brees Hall is more likely to secure the three down role this season than Kenneth Walker is I think Kenneth Walker might need a little more time just developing the pass catching side of things I could be completely wrong they could come out and just use him in that and he develops it during training camp and all of that but at this moment in time I'd feel more secure about Brees Hall getting the three down role as far as long-term dynasty goes I don't know that they're necessarily that different if you had Walker over Brees Hall I wouldn't have an issue with that yeah I've been going back and forth on the two flip-flopping one day I got Brees Hall one, the next day I got Kenneth Walker one. And I think I... Again, they're completely we'll different styles they, of runners. It depends we'll on where they go. Do yes. they go to a place that's actually going to play to their strength? Or, you know, Kenneth Walker go to a place that doesn't necessarily have the best offensive line because he's fast and shifty and he can make people miss in the backfield and get out of there. Brees Hall is, is typically if there's penetration on a run play when Brees Hall is going, he's not shifty. He's not making the guys miss in the backfield by being shifty and agile. What's he, what he does is if he has a good offensive line or at least a def- decent offensive line that can create an opening for him, he's going to hit that opening. He's going to gain yards every time he gets the ball. So that's all as far as Kenneth Walker goes. Let's move on to a 
Fun guy. Wide receiver out of Alabama, Jamison Williams. So, Jamison Williams started out at Ohio State. Didn't see much action. Transferred over to Alabama for 2021. Exploded. Had a monster season. 79 receptions, 1,572 yards. That's 19.9 yards per catch, basically 20 yards per reception. He had 15 receiving touchdowns. So let's just start with the obvious. Jamison Williams tore his ACL in January. That's the downside to Jamison Williams. Let's talk about Jamison Williams if he hadn't torn his ACL. Easily the number one wide receiver in the draft, yes? I think so. He's got... I think what you're he's six he's, so he's six probably one a and a half one eighty right. he's a top ten pick probably he's got the size that you're looking for a typical wide receiver one he's got the speed he he does everything he's he can cut back and forth without lose uh, one of the benefits about him is just how shifty he is he doesn't yes. lose as much momentum when he changes gears or changes direction as some of the other wide receivers in this class so that's one of the main things about some of these other guys that we're that we're going to talk about later on especially some of the larger guys you know when we talk about Traylon Burks, Chris o, even Chris Olave a little bit, you know, Christian Watson, some of those guys, when they go to change direction, because they of how they adjust their body and just how they move, they slow down a little bit, and then it takes a little bit to get back up. That's not how Jamison Williams operates at all. He can cut and curl and... Yeah. and he makes the moves at, at, at top speed. And it's top speed, and it's fluid, and it just keeps going, and he doesn't slow down. He runs through contact. He he plays hard. He fights. He's great with the ball in his hand. He's going to make you miss or he's going to run through you. But once the ball is in his hand in space, he's typically going to find a way to gain yards after the catch. Yeah, yards after the catch ability is elite. So I know typically we th- hear these speed guys, and a lot of people are talking about him going to the Chiefs because of his speed and all that, but he's not a one-trick pony type of guy. It's not just the speed. He can run all of the routes that you're looking for him to run. That being said, he does have a few deficiencies. Uh, we already talked about the torn ACL. Uh, he has that typical problem with that most of these wide receivers had. Body catches, body catches yep, the deep ball. You're going to hear it a lot. Again, you're going to hear this a lot. He body catches the deep ball. That's something that we feel, again, when you hear about this with all these top wide receivers, that's something that we totally believe is coachable. This is, this is nitpicking at the highest level because it's not all the time that they do it, but they do it enough that you can – point about it and say, like, hey, they need to work on this because you can't do it in the NFL. And so I, it's hard to knock a guy for it when every other guy has the same kind of knock on them. He could offer a little bit more as a blocker. He's not, you know, the, the best blocker due a little bit to his frame. He, he's not that big wide receiver. He's not a 50-50 type wide receiver. He can win that 50-50 ball, though. He has strong hands. He plays it's physical. It's all, he's done it on And tape. he's going to do it. But he's not the... I'll just chuck it up to this guy because like, he's not a T. Higgins type of guy who's 6'4", and you just chuck it up to him because he's big and he's going to overwhelm the other guy with his height. He's not like that kind of a player. But he's still going to win a contested catch because of his skill and his ability to adjust his body. Skills, yeah. So, and he str- again, he struggles a little bit against press coverage for the same reason he struggles in blocking, just general due to his overall frame. But if he was not injured, he would... Definitely be a top ten pick in I this so. in this NFL draft, not like a fantasy draft in the NFL draft. He'd be the, a top ten pick. He's probably still he tore his ACL in January. He's gonna miss the first month probably too, and he's still gonna go in the first round to give you an idea of how good Jamison Williams is. People don't care that they're gonna lose him for the first four to eight weeks of the season. He's still gonna get taken in the first round. So where does that leave him as far as fantasy goes? 
I think of all the wide receivers in this class, he has the best one, best chance to crack being a top five wide receiver throughout his career. I don't disagree with that. The, the ceiling is just that he's so fast. If he lands with a strong arm quarterback who can sling the deep ball, like it, it's going to be unbelievable. Just put the tape on. He runs right by everybody. Like it doesn't matter. And then SEC, you can drop a safety the back best. there. It didn't matter. Say, yeah, you, the one I looked at, there were three guys lined up across the back. They, they were playing three deep. And Jamison Williams just, pew, right by him. It's like, how do you stop it? How do you and stop that? Again, it's not even just the speed, because you watch and sometimes what you see is, you know, he's got the corner on him, and what he does is he jukes out the corner and gets separation from the corner, and then he, zoom, yeah, takes gone. off, and he, he starts burning, and it's like once he's past the corner, he takes off, and the safety tries to come over, and even the safety can't catch up with him now. All he had to do is get past the corner, so he didn't have anyone in his way slowing him down at all, and he, he's gone. So... Despite the torn ACL, could you still see Jamison Williams being the first wide receiver taken in a rookie draft for Dynasty? We'll see about Would you be comfortable spot? taking him as a as the first wide it's receiver? It's tough to say now without seeing how the NFL draft plays out. You know, if one of these other guys ends up in another fav- more favorable situation, depending on you know your team construct, it might be more favorable for you to take a guy like you know Burks, who ends up in a Green Bay, or might end up in Buffalo. Versus Jamison Williams, who may end up on the Eagles, right? So, like, so let's say you're not desperate for a wide receiver to start. Like you've got two solid wide receivers, and then you know you've got people you can put in as a wide receiver three or a flex play for you. And you're you're long. You, so you're looking long term. If you're looking for upside, I th- I think Williams could be the play. Okay. So yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at too. I, if, if you had Jamison Williams as the number one wide receiver in this rookie class, I don't blame you at all. Even though he's got the torn ACL and is going to miss the start, just because just the tape was just it, it, it's so much better than not that other the other players' tape isn't good, but just to give you an idea how Jam, the other players' tape is great and his is just even better than that. When you see like you see everything you want to see from a wide receiver when you watch Jamison Williams' tape. Whereas some of these other guys, where most of these other guys, you watch the tape and there is an aspect missing from their game on the tape. You don't need to worry about that with Jamison Williams. You've seen every aspect of the game you want to see from him on tape. So, Jamison Williams, again, depending on the landing spot, where would you see him then finishing from a just a general fantasy perspective? Like, let's say just this upcoming season. This upcoming season. With him missing. Possibly, you know how many games. It's tough to it's tough to say, um, but I think he's got, you know, potential to be. He's got wide receiver two uh, with potential wide receiver once one he, upside. Once he once comes, he comes back and he gets you know gets his feet back under him, gets healthy. And this might that might not even be until the twenty twenty three season to be honest. But he, he's got that upside. He's he's got wide receiver one upside. It's gonna be interesting to see how he plays out where he goes as far as like fantasy drafts because. Again, you're not pro- you're not going to use him for the first four weeks yeah. of the season due to the injury, and there's no guarantee he catches on as soon as he comes back. And he could miss potentially eight weeks of the season recovering from the ACL. See which manager. But some people would be looking at him like this you know? could be this guy could be Amon Ross St. Brown next year, where you know he comes season, on in the yeah. last few games and he just shows up and he's just getting, he's getting ten targets a game, and so that translates to production. He ends up winning you the season. So it'll be curious because I feel like. He might get over. He might be the rookie wide receiver to get overdrafted 
in redraft leagues or startup leagues. Could be, yeah. Because the just, well, I mean, startup league, I would understand it more because of the long-term implications. But as far as redraft goes, I feel like he might go a little higher than some people will probably be comfortable taking somebody who's not going to be ready to start the season. So yeah. If he ends up in Kansas City, the hype train won't stop. Yeah, because, I mean, look at who he's competing for for the number one job. Mm-hmm. I mean, Juju's there, but I think he's on a one-year deal, I believe is what we said. And then you've got, yeah, Juju's on the one-year deal. MVS is on a three-year deal. Uh, he'll easily beat out either one of them for the number one wide receiver position. So uh, We'll see about the Juju thing. I don't know about that. We will. Yeah. But yeah, I think you guys are, yeah, I'm not as hype on Juju. As I'm not, I've I'm never not been as hype, hype on but, Juju. But as, Juju as has, just, a, has at least produced in the NFL he already. Has. He so. has. Yeah, but the, I mean, he's the Steelers got the always manage to get production out of the wide receivers. So. You know, so. Yeah. Again, I'm not as hyped on Juju as that. I think Jameson Williams would easily beat out both those guys to be the number one wide receiver if he was on the team. But, again, you're waiting until about four to eight weeks in the season to get him. So, other than that, any final thoughts on any of these guys, Rich, or just about the draft in general coming up? Over, under... 17 and a half TikToks between Juju and Jackson Mahomes. Combined or? Them together. Together. Oh, oh definitely under. Under? You don't yeah. think they get in that more? Uh, too, no. I said it too high? Too high, yeah. No, I'm Wait, thinking... so when we say together, are we, do we mean combining the, their TikToks? No, or the two of them in a TikTok. In a TikTok together. Oh, I, I don't know. Juju said he's not playing that this year, but I mean, you know, he's a young man that I'm gonna take the under. I don't. Let's set a, let's set a lower number. I think 17 is too high. I, I think it's like, like games put it played. At like, let's put it at like one three. per game. Set it at three. Yeah, let's set it at three. Oh. Three and a half. Three and a half. Three and a half. Is Gotta it? play the hook. Yeah, exactly. So over under three and a half. What you got, Rich? I'll take the over. Take the over. What about you, Ray? That that's a good line because I was thinking that like they get to the third one and that's when somebody's finally goes to them like guys like, yeah, you, you enough, gotta stop enough. this like we can't you know like this can't go on so this let it's me, not it's let, not that deep yeah let me one. take the over it yeah, is that deep over. though I'm I'm going <laughs> I'm going with the under taking the under yeah, smart bet. So, uh, yeah, so I guess that we wraps gotta, it up. Are, for, are you keeping track of these bets that we make it somewhere? Or I might be writing it down. Right. Yeah, that one, but I feel like we made, like, three other ones that I can't remember that we're not going to remember it unless we actually have it somewhere. Somebody else can remind us later if we got something uh, yeah, right or wrong. Yeah, tweet us. Yeah. All right. What's our yeah, Twitter tweet handle? Tweet us. Uh, we're at Fantasy uh, Oddballs. At Fantasy Oddballs. We are on Twitter, we are on Instagram, we are on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, and all the places you listen to your podcasts. Except for YouTube right now. Except for YouTube. We'll get there one day. We are currently an audio-only podcast, so we are not on YouTube, but we are working our way there. Until then, and until next time, I am Ryan McNichols, Rich Halk, Mike Coyle. See you next time. Later. Go Birds. Salute.